0: pleasure and a privilege to go through an entire book of the Bible. We've gone through James and Jonah, and now we're going through the book of Matthew together and look forward to that. Remember, Matthew, among his themes, remember, is the theme that Jesus is the king, and he's speaking primarily to a Jewish audience that he is the chosen one, he is the king, and so we see that in chapter one through all of the genealogies. Uh, we see it in chapter two through his birth, not the least of which is the, uh, the wise men, the kings from the east, who come and offer him gifts fit for a king, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then we clearly see it when John the Baptist comes and, and he heralds the one who's coming. And the king always has someone who heralds his coming for him. And then we see it here when Jesus is tempted by Satan and uh, Satan realizes the significance of who Jesus is and tries immediately to derail him. And we talked last week about the ways in which Satan tempted Jesus and how that's how he tempts us as well. And Jesus was perfect without any failure whatsoever. And his perfection is given to us. What a glorious truth. But there's a turning point here that happens after the baptism of Jesus. And he begins to preach. So let's begin looking at his ministry in Galilee. Verse 12 of Matthew chapter 4. When he heard that John had been arrested, John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and he left Nazareth and he went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulon near Naphtali. This was to fulfill what the prophet had spoken, Isaiah. He said, land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light, And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Verse 17. From then on, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. Follow me. and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with Zebedee their father preparing their nets and he called them immediately they left the boat and they left their father and they followed him now Jesus began to go all over Galilee teaching in the synagogues preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people the news about him spread throughout Syria so that they brought to him all those who were afflicted and suffering from various diseases intense pains demon-possessed, the epileptics, the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed Jesus from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. God bless the reading of his word to our hearts on this day. Here we see a turning point. Jesus begins his public ministry. John is arrested. That's another story. And we'll get to there eventually. But, but John's ministry has been fulfilled. He's the one that heralded the coming of the king. And at the baptism of Jesus, he has now arrived in his full ministry. And the first thing he does here, we see, is he selects, begins to select these who will be his disciples. And we see this recorded here and in the other Gospels as well. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Now, these are fishermen up on the Sea of Galilee. If you ever had the opportunity to go to the land of Israel, I would strongly encourage you to do it. It is a life-changing experience because you can go to the Sea of Galilee. It's there. And you can go to Capernaum. It is there. It's called the, the village of Jesus. It's, it's an excavation site. It's not an active city, but it's certainly the ruins are there. The synagogue. Is there the, the, the foundation and the steps of the synagogue of the first century, which would have been the place where Jesus would have worshipped and and across the street from the synagogue is Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house. And Peter, Jesus would have been there. It's a wonderful location. It's a beautiful place. And this is where he begins his earthly ministry. And whenever Jesus is around the Sea of Galilee, he attracts he attracts thousands of people, large crowds, always popular. It's when he heads south to Jerusalem that all of the hostility comes. But here he is at the Sea of Galilee. And here he encounters these fishermen. First, Peter and his brother Andrew. Simon, Peter, and Andrew. And he says to them in a very simple way, as he's walking, he said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Look, all of us have experienced, experienced salvation, all of us who've experienced salvation have been called by Jesus. You, we may have thought we found him. I mean, that may be. And from our perspective, later on I'll, I'll read to you where Andrew uh, goes and he tells his brother, Hey, I found the one that we've been looking for. There's a sense in which we think we found Jesus because we see him and we know him. But actually, he found us. While we were still in our sin, he sought us out. Jesus knew who Peter and Andrew were, and Jesus sought them out. And so at least we become the least bit prideful of our own salvation and think we had anything to do with it. We need to realize if he hadn't called us out, we would never know him. If he hadn't sought me, I would never know him. The Apostle Paul even says that salvation is a free gift of grace by faith. And even the faith to receive it isn't your faith God gave you the faith to receive the gift of salvation. It all goes to him. As the little video we showed a few weeks ago with Ballester Begg says, if you get to heaven and and they say, why should I let you in? And you begin with the personal pronoun I, it's probably not the right reason. (laughs) It's not because I prayed a prayer. It's not because I went to church. It's not because I was baptized. It's not even because I accepted Jesus. It's because Jesus has died for me. It's because Jesus has saved my soul. It's because Jesus' righteousness has been given to me. It's all about Him. And when we look at the text over and over again, we see this foundational truth that God is at work all around us. You know, when we began to replant this church, the first thing we did was go through experiencing God together. And the first absolute truth of experiencing God is God has been at work from the foundation of the earth, and He's still at work all around us. And our job isn't to do his work for him. Our job is to discover what his work is and join him in it. God's at work all around Linwood. He's at work all around us. And we have to be aware of what he's doing and join him in it. And here, what a beautiful picture of Jesus coming to these men and saying, follow me. It begins with the call of Christ. Have you had that in your life? you know of a time when you realized that you were a sinner and you knew you needed a Savior and you knew you couldn't save yourself and you knew you were hopeless and you were very crushed by the weight of your sin that you offended a holy God? That's Jesus calling you. That's the Holy Spirit effectually calling you. Be grateful for that call. And on days and weeks and months and seasons in our life when we're worn out and depressed and discouraged and despondent, it's so good to remember that call, that he called us out. Maybe you were a child in vacation Bible school, but he called you out. Maybe you were an adult, recently married, and through the ministry of your spouse, he called you out. Maybe you were later in life, and then something happened in a crisis in your life, and, and someone who's a Christian shared Jesus with you, and he called you out. But whatever it is, we've all had that experience that Peter and Andrew and James and John had, Jesus has come and called us. And what does he call us to do? Does he call us to be perfect? Does he call us to do everything he is doing? Does he call us to change our lives? No, he calls us simply at this point to follow him. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was ready to ascend into heaven after his earthly ministry, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and he gives what we call the Great Commission to his disciples, and that is to you and I. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything I've told you. To observe means to do, to follow Jesus. That's the simple truth. What's it mean to be a Christian? It means to follow Jesus, to be a Christ follower. Not to lead, not to tell him what to do. You don't carry him around in your hip pocket and pull him out when you need something. It's we follow him. He is our leader. He is our captain. He is our king. He is our Lord. I no longer, fuss. listen, I no longer follow my own agenda. I no longer follow my own dreams. I no longer follow my own hopes. I no longer follow my own ambitions. I no longer follow my own goals. I now follow Jesus. When he said, come and follow me, he didn't mean just from here to here. (laughs) He meant change your entire life. Change the direction of your entire life. Whatever it is you're following in life, stop following that and follow me. And then he makes this promise. If you will follow me, he says, I will make you fishers of men. Listen carefully. You may think, I simply can't do what Jesus would ask me to do. I can't fulfill everything I'm supposed to do. I can't be that kind of person. But Jesus makes it clear to these disciples, I will make you what you need to be. You can trust me. I will do it. He doesn't say, follow me, and and you can learn to do something. Follow me, and, and you'll be able to do something. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. If we will truly follow Jesus, listen, if we will truly follow Jesus, if we will truly submit our life to his authority, if we'll truly put him first in all things, if we'll truly look to him for all direction and all leadership and follow his instructions and follow him with great affection and love and loyalty, he will make us something that we could never imagine that we might be. If you're going to establish a church on earth... The church of Jesus Christ, the most important thing on earth. Are you going to walk up to four fishermen and say, you four Galilean uneducated, never been to school fishermen up here in the middle of nowhere. You're the people I'm going to start with. Of course not. You go down to Jerusalem, you'd find the scholars, you'd find the powerful, you'd find the elite, you'd find the great leaders But Jesus here is saying, if you will follow me, I will make you something you could never, ever do on your own. And Christian, I want you to have that confidence this morning. Listen to me. Listen, whatever he calls you to do, he'll give you the ability to do it. He will make you what you need to be if you will submit to him. There's a glorious promise in this. Don't just don't just Walk over that quickly where he says, I will make you fishers of men. He takes responsibility for directing you, for discipling you. Now, how does it mean to be made into a fisher of men? What's it mean to be made into the likeness of Jesus? Well, among other things, it means he's going to have to chip away a lot of stuff that doesn't need to be there. He's going to have to prune a lot of things that don't need to be there. And the chipping away and the pruning can be painful to us, but ultimately it's good for us. He's going to have to do some surgery on us and take out some stuff that shouldn't be there in order that we can have what needs to be there. And certainly as you look at the lives of the disciples, you say there were many times when he did that on their lives. But he said, come and follow me. Now, let's look at these four and how different they are. First of all, there's Simon Peter. Now, whenever you look at the disciples, they're always in sort of groups of, not always, not sort of, they are. They're in groups, they're in three groups of four. And the first group of four, always mentioned, is Peter, Andrew, James, and John. These group of fishermen from the Sea of Galilee area. And it's interesting that Peter is always named first among the disciples. He's always the first to speak. He's always the most brash. I mean, he's the one who said, I will never, uh, d- never leave you. I will never fail you. <laughs> I, will, I would never turn against you. I will never deny you. And then Jesus said, before the sun comes up, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he did. Peter's the one who pulled out the sword and tried to probably take off the head of the temple guard and missed and took off his ear. Peter was the first to act and sometimes not always the first to think. Peter was the spokesman. He was there. He was, he was the, the brash one. He was the, the leader. He'd walk in a room. He would be the one that would be the leader. And some of you are like that, but it's interesting to know, and we should be fully aware, that Jesus didn't just call 12 Simon Peters. When we have a group, a congregation, that's why I mentioned earlier this morning how many of you were here two years ago. We're all new. Jesus is building his church And in that church, there are people like Simon Peter, there are people like Andrew, there are people like James and John, and we'll mention the other disciples at another time. They're all there, and they all bring something that Jesus wants to his body and to this table we call the church. So we're not all Simon Peter. We're not all brash and strong and great leaders. There's an Andrew. In fact, the Gospels say that in another Gospels Andrew is the one who initially introduces Peter to Jesus. Andrew is the one who brings the little boy with the loaves and fishes and says, there's a, there's a child here who has a meal, but what are they among so many? It's not Peter who goes out and finds a little boy with the loaves and fishes. It's Andrew. When some Gentiles want to see Jesus, they they come to Andrew and say, how do we approach him? Clearly, Andrew is the one who invites people to see Jesus. He's the one who is behind the scenes, quietly being what God's called him to be and uniquely gifted him to be. They're brothers, but they're very different. Listen, they're fishers of men, but they're very different. Peter is a fisher of men on on one level, this brash leader who speaks truth and is bold. And and Andrew is a fisher of men on a different level. He's one who invites quietly, one-on-one. He's one that, listen, that a little boy felt comfortable talking to. He's one that a couple of Gentiles who didn't really know how to approach Jesus felt comfortable talking to. See, in the body of Christ, we need all of us. And we all have these different gifts and these different abilities. And God will take who we are. He doesn't change who we are, but he takes who we are and he makes us what we need to become in order to fulfill our mission and his glory in this world. The good news for us today is we don't have to do this on our own. You can't save yourself. I think as Baptists, we all understand that. We don't participate in our salvation. It's a free gift of God. Listen, you can't clean yourself up either. You can't make yourself what God wants you to be. He does that as you submit yourself to him, as you spend time with him, as you spend time in his word, as you follow him. I don't know how to to say it any more clearer. In order to become what he wants you to be, he will make you what he needs you to be if you will follow him. If you do not follow him and you follow your own agenda and you follow the world and you follow your own passions and your own desires, you will not be able to be made what he wants you to be. But if you will follow me, he said, that's all you have to do. I will take care of making you a fisher of men. You sit here and you think, I I don't know how I could be this kind of church member. I'm not sure I could ever teach children. I'm not sure I could ever get to the point where I'm giving. I'm not sure I could do these things. Here's the reality. If you will follow Jesus daily, he will make you exactly what he needs you to be. That is his promise. And what a glorious promise it is. Again, Andrew was the one responsible for bringing the boy with the loaves and the fishes. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother was the one that when some Greeks wanted to meet Jesus, he went and took them to Philip so that they could do that. Andrew was quiet and behind the scenes. Peter was bold and out front. And what about James and John? Well, they were the sons of thunder. You know, that means they, they, they were strong and brash and powerful. Remember there was a time when they wanted to call down fire from heaven? And destroy the enemies of Jesus. That has an Old Testament context. It's not something they thought up themselves. <laughs> There's an Old Testament context to that. Where the enemies of God were, were uh, consumed by fire. So they were thinking maybe we should just do this. And, and Jesus t- turns them into a different direction. But it's interesting. that the, and, the, the, and their mother is the one who came to Jesus and said look I don't care which one sits on the right. And which one sits on the left. But my boys need to be somewhere up there at the top when you get to your throne. So here we got these just these first four, this inner circle, are so different. You could see, could you not see some conflict? First of all, they're brothers. Could you not see conflict among brothers, among Peter and Andrew and James and John? But then just their personalities and how different they are. And in some ways, Peter and Andrew and, excuse me, Peter and James and John are all brash. John perhaps more than James. We hear more of him. But as they follow Jesus... It's not an easy path. They have much to learn and they have much to to be, be taught. And they have many trials and difficulties to go through. But it's a glorious thing to see God take these fishermen with these unique and different personalities. And as they follow the Lord, he does something in their life that only he could do. And he makes Peter into this amazing apostle who's so willing to lead the church. And so willing that he gives up his life. And he makes Andrew into this amazing apostle. Who is so kind and generous. Inviting people to see Jesus. And eventually he gives up his life. And James, the brother of John. Eventually he's martyred as well. And then John. Brash, bold, powerful maybe angry, I'd like to call down fire from heaven and destroy my enemies, John. As he has a lifetime of following Jesus, he becomes this sweet, loving, caring, older apostle who in his little epistles of 1 John and 2 John and 3 John refers to those of us who are Christians as little children, my little children. And remember, it's at the cross where Jesus is dying he looks down, and he sees his earthly mother, and he sees the one disciple who's there with him, and that's John. And he says to John, son, behold your mother. And he says to his mother, mother, behold your son. And this son of thunder, this brash fisherman from Galilee that left his father and left his nets, eventually became the one to whom Jesus entrusted the care of his own earthly mother after he died. And this one John is the one, the apostle, who refers to himself whenever he's writing as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's why we call him the beloved disciple. You've heard me say this before, and I want to say it again, and I want you to hear me say it. When John says, I am the disciple whom Jesus loved, John is not bragging on himself. He's bragging on Jesus. John cannot get over the fact, listen, that as a brash, loud, proudful, rough, probably cursing fisherman... Jesus came along one day and said, If you'll follow me, I'll give you a new direction and a new life, and I'll make something out of you you could never imagine. And John never got over the fact that Jesus loved him. So every time he mentioned it, he'd say, I can't believe, I'm the disciple that Jesus, of all the people in the world, why could he love me? How could he love me? I'll never get over the fact that he loves me. Listen, We become what Christ wants us to become when we understand we don't deserve anything Christ gives us. One of the biggest problems in the church today is that people feel entitled to things. I'm a member. This is my church. I have rights. I have privileges. To some degree, as a body of Christ, we are responsible to each other. But we need to wake up every day as the way John did and go, I can't believe Jesus sought me out and loved me. I deserve none of this. None of this is because of me. It is all because of him. And out of that attitude of gratitude, we will follow Jesus. And Jesus has said, if you will follow me, I will do the rest. I will make you fishers of men. Who would have thought that such uneducated, (laughs) lowly, and out-of-the-way men would be the foundation for a great and new church but it was and then he goes on verse 23 he went all over Galilee teaching preaching and healing becomes the pattern for his ministry teaching is instructing them in the gospel and in the word and in the word of God correctly. But preaching is proclaiming the good news that, that a new day has arrived. That hope is now here. The kingdom has arrived as proclamation. And then healing as a symbol and a sign that he has arrived. He begins to do that here. And it says throughout all of Syria and basically in that time period. Anything north of Galilee all the way up. Past Damascus was Syria. Syria. And large crowds followed him all around that region as he begins his ministry. You can only imagine what the disciples were thinking as they began to see Jesus do this, as they began to experience all of these things he's teaching and that he's saying. Some confusion, some uncertainty, some definite excitement. But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And I want you to know this morning on the authority of God's word, if you are a child of God and you've been born again, you've had a Simon Peter and a James and John and an Andrew moment. There's been a moment when Jesus sought you out whatever it is you were doing and called you. He called you to salvation, but he calls you to follow him. And as you follow him, you'll become what he wants you to be. And the degree to which you follow him is the degree to which you'll become what he's asked you to be. He will do in you what you cannot do in yourself. And if you're sitting here this morning and thinking, I could never do this, I could never do that. Peter could never imagine being the leader of a church. James and John, could never imagine being the central disciples in this Andrew probably could never imagine being the one who could invite so many to come to Christ but they were the ones that God used and desired to use and it's like God to use the weakness in us to show the glory in himself so this morning don't belittle yourself and your abilities rather focus on Christ and what he can do through you listen to me if he can raise dead men to life, if he can change you from a pattern and a, a, a direction of, of sin and headed to hell to a new life and headed to heaven, he can do anything in your life and anything in my life. We're so quick to understand that Jesus can save us for all eternity, but we're not sure he can really use us here on this earth. He can. He can make you what you need to be. Listen to his teaching. Observe those things he teaches. Listen to his preaching. Be grateful for the good news that's coming. Experience the healing that he brings to you and to me and our hurts and our wounds and our sorrows. And know that he is the son of God. And he can do all things. And the glory of it is, folks, he desires to do them through us. We don't do them, but he desires to do them through us. What a fortunate time for Peter, Andrew, James, and John for Jesus to have called them out. Oh, Saint, what a fortunate time for Jesus to have called you out. Charles Spurgeon says, follow me because of what you, he does not say, Jesus does not say this. Follow me because of what you yourselves are already. Jesus didn't pick Peter, Andrew, James, and John, because of what they were already doing and who they already were. He said, follow me because of what I will make you. It did not seem a likely thing that a humble fisherman would develop into apostles, that men so handy with the net would be much more handy at preaching sermons and instructing converts and establish a church. One would have said, how can these things be? You cannot make the founders of churches out of peasants of Galilee. But that's exactly what Christ did. And we are brought low in the sight of God by a sense of our own unworthiness. We may feel encouraged to follow Jesus, not because of what we are, but of what he can make us. Heavenly Father, I pray that these words will be true in our heart and our mind. Lord, help us realize that as you sought out these four, you've sought out us. As you have the plan for these four in your glorious church, you have a plan for us. As you will make these four in the decades to come exactly what they need to be, you will make that in us if we are humbling ourselves and obediently following you. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.